I figured. You have your Bibles, turn to Lamentations quickly here. While you're standing, I want to read my passage of Scripture, and then we'll pray. Actually, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be in your house this morning, thankful for the opportunity to open your word. We pray that you'll bless it as it's brought forth, that you'll use it to save lost souls, to encourage your people to edify and correct if needed. Pray for Pastor Holt. Pray that he'll feel better very soon. Pray for others that are sick. I think of my son. He's been sick for a few days. There's just been a lot of things going around, and we pray for healing. Pray for your churches as they assemble together today. Pray for those that will be standing behind the pulpit presenting your word. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated because... Before we read this, I got a little brief <clears throat> introduction. A while ago, you know how social media is. They have these little reels and things, videos that they show, and one of them that came up on my Facebook page was a reel of an apologist, a guy that does apologetics. And I don't know his name, I'm jealous of his hair, but I've seen two or three of his videos, and it looks like he's on a college campus of some kind. And in a public area, usually outside, and he allows students to come out and ask him questions, and he'll provide answers. And, of course, I'm assuming this kid's a philosophy major of some kind because he thought he was very clever in the question that he was going to ask this guy. And I'll give the gentleman credit for going out and putting himself in this position to, you don't know what questions are going to be asked, you, you have to be prepared to answer really anything. But I'm assuming that this kid was a philosophy major of some kind, and he thought he was really clever, and he kind of had a little bit of a smirk on his face as he was asking it. And the question that he asked was, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? You can also expound upon that when people usually ask, why does God allow good thing, bad things to happen to good people? And that might be a question that we've all faced from time to time. And this is certainly the question that was brought to this gentleman here on this college campus. And the, the kid asked his question. And he had a little bit of a smirk on his face, and then he just walked away. Literally left the area and had no interest of hearing the response because he thought, well, I put this guy in his place because he's not going to have an answer to this. And I don't really remember, I'll be honest with you, I watched the video and it was only maybe three minutes long and I wasn't terribly impressed with the answer because, let's be honest, it's probably chopped up anyway and I didn't get the full answer. There's, to be honest with you, I have a problem with the question. That's not the right question to ask. Why does God allow bad things to happen? That's the wrong question. You're approaching this topic from a flawed question to begin with. If you look here in Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 22. the ever-popular book of Lamentations. 
doesn't get hit very often, does it? Lamentations 3. When I heard the question and watched the video, this was the first verse that came to my mind. Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. It's not why does God allow bad things to happen. The question is, how does he not utterly consume us every day? God owes us absolutely nothing good whatsoever. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. We are undeserving of that gift and only receive those blessings through Christ. We deserve absolute destruction every day. When left to our own devices, when left to our own abilities, the thoughts that we have, the sins we commit, the things we do or do not do, we deserve to be consumed. We deserve to be destroyed. But through God's mercy, remember, let's define mercy here, not getting what we deserve, which we deserve eternal hell, we deserve damnation, we deserve this separation from God because that's what it is, it's being separated from God. We deserve destruction. But through grace, getting what we don't deserve, we receive blessing. We receive what we see here in Lamentations 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail. Now, aren't you glad he has compassion on us? We don't deserve it. I'm horrible. I remember I was saved when I was in fourth grade. King's Edition Baptist Church, South Shore, Kentucky. And I remember the sermon topic. My pastor was preaching about the Apostle Paul, and he said, it was in reference to Paul said that, uh, talking about sinners, uh, the worst of sinners of whom I am chief. And I thought, and I was old enough to know, and I've been in church my whole life, I'm like, I know the Apostle Paul. I've heard the Apostle Paul be taught on a lot. And he thought he was the chiefest of sinners? How bad must I be? Because Paul, he was not perfect, I grant you. Boy, God used him in a great way, didn't he? And if Paul had that thought, that opinion of himself, how bad must I be? Not to put man on any type of pedestal, but he was blessed of God. So I remember that distinctly. But to the ever-popular book of Habakkuk, you're going to wish Brother Brown was here this morning because I'm turning all these rarely used books of the Bible. Habakkuk 3. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. The book of Habakkuk was written against a backdrop of apostasy, judgment, some pretty hard times. It was written when, uh, during the time of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, led the people back into idolatry. When you lead people into idolatry, what are you essentially doing? You're leading them away from the Lord. And is God going to bless that? He most certainly is not. 
So as a result, God is preparing to judge the nation. Habakkuk's having a hard, he's having trouble understanding why God would use a heathen nation like Babylon to punish people. And God does that. I don't care who you are, you could, I don't care who it is. You can be an atheist. You could not believe in God whatsoever, but he uses everybody and all things because he created all things to further his will. And you can not believe in God all that you want. The Bible says that when the Lord comes back, every knee will bow, whether you like it or not. You will recognize who God is. So Habakkuk's trying to process all of this. He can't understand why God doesn't just purge their sins and draw them back to himself, to righteousness. Sometimes God just has to get our attention. Sometimes God puts us in a whale's belly. Sometimes we have to go through some hardships for us to get back on the right track. Here in Habakkuk 3, let's look at verses 17 through 19, the end of the chapter here. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Does that sound promising? Does that sound wonderful? That's, that sounds pretty awful, as a matter of fact. Uh, the, who wants to go through verse 17? I would prefer not to go through verse 17. If you listen to a lot of so-called preachers on television, they'll tell you, you'll, you'll never have to go through verse 17. They preach a prosperity gospel. Your best life now. Well, this, this is the best life? Boy, ugh. No thanks. We have something much more uh, wonderful to look forward to. We're going to have verse 17. We're going to deal with it. In this world, ye shall have tribulation. There's no maybe or might to it. It's The word is shall there in, in the book of John. Ye shall have tribulation. How do we respond to hard times? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to face it. We live in a lost world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world where death entered in through one man. Death entered in, death by sin. And we know that we live in a fallen world. That's just a fact. I'd rather not go through verse 17. Well, what's, what's our response to verse 17? Is it to shake our fist at God and say, you know, how dare you? I mean, first of all, I have a question who do you think you are? If you're shaking your fist at it toward heaven and questioning God and what he allows to come to pass because he allows things to come to pass. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is, in, he is sovereign. He is all-powerful. What comes to pass is by his will. And we need to grin and bear it. Faithfully, happily. Your will be done, not mine. What's our response? Is it to be like the young man who went to the gentleman on campus and said, why does God, if he's so good, allow bad things to happen? Are we to just start questioning everything God is and what he does? No. Habakkuk gives us a perfect response to hardship. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. We just read verse 17, right? 
sounds pretty rough. Now you get to verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. There's a few things we're going to look at as we contemplate Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19 this morning. But Habakkuk, the book, ends with thanksgiving, with rejoicing, with praise. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of the flesh. In terms of the flesh, we would be complaining and groaning and moaning and sighing. But Habakkuk's, what a wonderful example. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There he, there's whatever suffering we're enduring, there's a purpose for it. I've known people, faithful people, go in for just routine procedures and end up in double bypass surgeries. And they don't plan on it. They, when they got up that morning, it was just going to be an in and out type thing. But thankfully, they anticipate those types of things and had a surgical team on standby just in case something like that would happen. Especially if you're in an advanced age like the person I'm talking about was. And I was at the hospital. I was there with his wife and daughter and grandchildren that were there. And as soon as they made the announcement over the loudspeaker for, you know, code blue or whatever it was, I don't remember the exact code, um, emergency bypass surgery, we knew exactly who they were talking about. We knew that the bad thing that we were hoping wouldn't happen, happened. And I was one of the first ones to see him after his surgery. And I, he was still asleep. He was in the recovery room. They allowed me to go into the back. He looked awful. Absolutely awful. Of course, he was in his 80s. And not in the best of health to begin with. But he looked bad. And I thought, wow. What a tough situation. And he was a pastor. He wanted to be behind the pulpit, but it took months for him to bounce back. Months. It was killing him not to be at church every service and to not be behind the pulpit. But while he was in the hospital, he was there a lot longer because of what had happened. Guess what he was doing? Witnessing the people. People in the room with him, other patients, nurses, doctors. Uh, they heard about the Lord while he was there. Then he went to a rehab facility to get stronger. Guess what they heard while he was there? They heard about the Lord. I can guarantee you that. Now, I don't know what seeds were planted, what fruits that are being picked over this, that situation he had to endure. I don't know. But I know there was a purpose in it. He looked for that purpose. Did he want to be in the hospital? No. Did he want to be in a rehab facility? No. Would he have liked to have been at church? Yes. Would he have liked to have been behind the pulpit? Yes, but that's not what God had in store. Honestly, we need to just go with the flow. 
God, what do you have for me today? Just be faithful in whatever position God has put you in. We may not understand all that's happening, but we can thank Him, and even if it's bad, no matter what state I'm in. And every time I reference that passage of Scripture, I lived in Florida 17 years. It wasn't my favorite place to live. It was hot, and there were a lot of people, and it was a thousand miles away from our family. I'm thankful for my time there. We tried to be as faithful as we could be there. So every time I reference that passage of Scripture, I always say, whatever state I'm in, and I know this means other things, not, but I always say Florida, the state of Florida, I'm going to be content. And I tried to be as content as possible, and I'm not much on the beach. It's too much sand, and sand gets everywhere, and it's hot. And I lived 15 minutes from the beach for 17 years, and I can probably count on one hand how many times I actually went. The people everywhere. My wife and kids liked it. They weren't real happy. Well, they were, but they liked Florida a lot more than I did. But whatever state we're in, we just need to be content. What do you have for me today, Lord? What do you want me to do? As we look at tough situations we find ourselves in, we can thank God for His sovereignty. It never changes. He never loses power. No one can overthrow him. He's in complete and full control. We can rest in that. How many empires have risen and fallen throughout history? I mean, look at the Roman Empire. Look at Caesar. You can look at the Ottoman Empire. You can look at all of the empires. They thought, boy, we're, we're so big, we're vast, we're strong, we're wealthy. We're never going away. Where are they now? Sometimes I think we're getting too big for our britches in America. And we think we're too big to fail. Well, we're starting to study eschatology on Wednesday evenings. I preach on Wednesday evenings at Twinbrook Hills. And, you know, I, I read through Revelation. I read there's no guarantee that America will be around. Could we be? Sure. But, I mean, there's no guarantee that we will. America, look at 9-11. Every year that comes around, I get sucked back into that because I remember that day so distinctly. I thought it, I got up, I was in college, I got up, looked at the television, I thought it was a movie of some kind, it didn't seem real for whatever reason. Then I saw the second plane hit, and I'm like, whoa, this, this, is, this is real. And for that little bit of time, it was a little bit of a revival didn't last long. Went right back to our old sinful ways pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. Then you had Hurricane Katrina come along and just decimate New Orleans and the state of Louisiana as a whole. Interestingly enough, I remember Katrina blew over top of Fort Myers, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and it was a little bit windy, and there was some rain, like a thunderstorm. That was Katrina blowing over. And I thought, well, that's it. I just rolled over and went back to sleep. We have afternoon thunderstorms that were worse than that. And once they got in the Gulf and picked up steam, destru destruction. We're not impervious 
And those things, I honestly believe, are God's judgment on this country. How do we expect to receive God's blessings when we are constantly removing him from public life? We're doing away with the Bible. We're doing away with prayer. The world wants nothing to do with God. So honestly, our country should be expecting verse 17. How are we going to respond? His sovereignty, Malachi 3.6, says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Aren't you glad that our salvation is sure? There's no take-backs. There's no judgment. We're going to be raptured out of here. Aren't you glad for that? As we've been studying, we've two or three weeks now. It's been three weeks, I guess. We're getting ready to st- my introduction. I'm still not finished with it. I told him it'd be two lessons, and now we're going to go into the fourth and by way of introduction. And the thing is, I'll listen to a sermon or something on sermon audio, or maybe Tom Ross or something like that, and he he deals a lot with in times and things, and I'll listen to a sermon, I'm like, oh, that's good stuff, and I'll add it in, and just dragging everything out more and more. Well, we're safe from the wrath to come. Scripture says that. I'm not making that up. There's no take-backs from that. That's a guarantee. So we may not be able to rejoice in the current situation that we're in, but we can always rejoice in our sovereign God, that he has a plan. We're not left out in the cold. We're not being abandoned by our general. He's right there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into the furnace. They weren't saved from the furnace. They had to go through the furnace. Three of them were tossed in. The guards who threw them in died as a result of the furnace being so hot. And you look down in it, and there weren't just three guys in there. There were four. One, like as to the Son of Man, that was the Lord, with them in the fire. We have that same promise. That's the same God, the same promise. He's with us in the fire. We may be in a lion's den, but His presence can come and shut the mouths of lions. Angels, He has charge over His angels. We studied angels, this was a number of years ago, but they're all around us. They're here this morning. His mercy never fails. He never changes. In Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I look at Egypt with Joseph. Their situation changed. They had seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. But God was able to prepare them for all of that. He didn't leave them high and dry. What Joseph's brothers meant for bad, for for evil, God meant it for good. Putting Joseph in a position to be able to not only take care of many countries and, and societies, but his family as well, that Turn their back on him. 
Look at Job and all that he went through. His family even told him to curse God and die. He said, no, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He praised God. Lost everything. I think of the Great Depression. Rachel's grandfather, he was born in 1929, and he always would joke, I was born in 1929, and then the stock market crashed. I don't know if we're connecting all the dots the way they're supposed to be connected, but history's history, and that's exactly what happened. I look at our own economy now. I tell you, when we were in Florida, we got down there in 04, and we rented for a little while, and I hate renting. So then we bought a townhouse, and every, I mean, things were just selling like hotcakes. We were putting bids on stuff, and they were just going up, 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 and we were getting priced out. We finally got a townhouse. We were excited. We're like, well, we could at least, the way the, the, the housing market was down there, oh, we can be here for, you know, I don't know, however long until we want to get something bigger. It was a two-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath townhouse. Maybe we'll want something bigger. Once we start having kids, we were just married and all that, and as our family grows, maybe we'll be able to flip it and get something bigger and make a little something. Nope. Housing market crashed. And when I say crashed, I mean crashed hard. We were there for, in that townhouse, a lot longer than we thought we would be. The Lord brought us out of it, thankfully. Look at now. Remember the dollar menu at McDonald's? My parents, for whatever reason, when I have two boys, 11 and 5, my parents are two and a half hours away, which they used to be 20 hours away, and I'll take this anytime. When we go visit, they like to get my kids Happy Meals because they don't get them very often with mom and dad. We went to McDonald's recently, and I thought, my goodness, what's happened? Prices of they think pretty highly of their food. It's not all that great. Go to the grocery store. I, was, I got so excited last weekend. We went to a funeral, and we were getting ready to come back. It was a Saturday afternoon. We were coming back to be at church. You, a lot of times we'll stay, and we're at, we stay at my parents' house. My dad's a pastor, and we'll go to their church on Sunday morning, and then maybe head home Sunday evening. But our pastor, uh, Brother Ogle, was sick. He had been he had a cold, but then he also had an eye infection. So I'm like, well, you know, we better get back. I want to be there just in case. You never know. Um, I got gas for $2.44 a gallon. Can I get an amen? I never thought $2.44 would be awesome, but it was. I remember when it was like 70 cents a gallon. I'm sure some people remember it was a lot cheaper than that. Remember when I got my first car? Guess what? I sold my bicycle for gas money. Gas was real cheap. Now it's back up to 319. I hate that. That's the way we, it is right now. Inflation is sky high. Cost of living, not what it used to be. 
But who can we depend on? Can't depend on the value of the dollar. We can't depend, I don't care who the president is, especially the one we got now. Can't depend on Congress. Can't depend on man, period. But we can always depend on God because he always has our best interests in mind. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm thankful for that because often my thoughts are complaining. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have tunnel vision. We all do. We only see what's right in front of us. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. God sees the big picture. He's sovereign. He is all-knowing. He knows exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, because he's going to allow it to happen that way. We don't. All we can do, I mean, we can worry. We can fret. We can question God. He's not going to like that. You're going to be miserable. Just rely on him. Lord, what, what, what are we doing here? What, what would you have me do? How can I glorify you today? No matter what I may be facing. I don't always have that point of view. I need to always have that point of view. But I don't always live it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, <clears throat> saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I don't know how anybody can read a passage like this and think we'll go through that tribulation period doesn't make sense. We're saved to the uttermost. You can't get any more saved than that. That's it. It's 100%. I'm thankful when I read this verse, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I know what they should be. I know what they were. <laughs> How are we not consumed? But through the shed blood of Christ and the moving of the Holy Spirit, now those thoughts are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And a very popular verse here, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So no matter how things may appear, God is still in control. And he knows best and always, always does what's right. Always. We don't always, but God does. If this is how we believe, then we can live out 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore. doesn't just say rejoice in the good things and in the good times. It says rejoice evermore, all of the time. Pray without ceasing. 
Because if you believe God is sovereign and in control and never changes and has our best interest at heart, we'll pray. Lord, please fill me with your presence. Calm me down. I used to, I'm like a lot like my dad. I've, it, that's changed over the last few years, but I used to be, if I didn't have something to worry about, that would have me worried. What am I not seeing? <laughs> what am I missing? <laughs> I'm, I should be worried over something. I, but that's not how it's supposed to be at all. In verse 18 here, it says, In everything, everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But we also see in our text, Habakkuk 3 and verse 18, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of, what's that word? My salvation. We can thank God, His salvation never ceases. Things might get bad in life. We may deal with physical issues or monetary issues or economical or emotional issues or I don't care. Insert whatever you want there. Whatever problems you may be dealing with, none of those things affects our salvation. Our salvation doesn't depend on things going well. Salvation rests solely on the grace and power of God. To say life is uncertain, that's an understatement. One phone call from a doctor can change your whole life. I mentioned just a few moments ago how last weekend we went to a funeral. It was the funeral, I've mentioned this in Sunday school, but it's worth Mentioning here, uh, a pastor friend of mine, he was 71, Pete Horn, pastored Johnstown Baptist Church for 31 years. He was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. And then he went to go pastor a church. He went to the doctor because he wasn't feeling great. Thought that he might have some internal bleeding. Just going to try to find it, figure it out, fix it. He goes, they run scans and tests and things, cancer, all over the place, everywhere. Even towards the end was going into his brain and he was not making a whole lot of sense some of the time. That was not what he was expecting at all. Just like that. One doctor's visit. That didn't affect his salvation. In fact, it assured him he was ready. Was he concerned about his wife who struggles with some dementia issues? Yep. Was he concerned about the church he pastored for 31 years? Yep. He was ready to go. Another one of his pastor friends, they, they're the elder statesmen now, but when they were young together, kind of coming up as young preachers and pastors, they were always had been friends, and he asked him, 
His name's Gene Kiger, and he asked Brother Pete, what regrets do you have about your ministry? And I didn't preach Jesus more. And the last words he spoke to his family where he went unconscious and then eventually passed away. And I quote, Jesus is real. That's it. Talk about a legacy. I'm going to miss him. He was like an uncle to me. Not the most ideal situation. Who would want to go through that? The pain, physical pain, emotional pain he was enduring with the cancer and leaving his family. But he was at peace about the whole thing because he knew the peace of the Lord. This world's not our home. And I'm thankful for that. And lastly here, in verse 19 of our text in Habakkuk. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. Thank God His strength never collapses. We may get weak. We may get physically weak. We may get spiritually weak. We may get emotionally weak. But we see here, the Lord God is my strength. Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong in the Lord. When we are drained of our own strength and wholly relying on the Lord, that's when we are at our absolute strongest. Anything we hope to accomplish, any faithfulness, we hope to, to have in the things of God is going to have to come from His strength and not our own. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He just keeps on strengthening us. He enables us. When we can't go on, He helps us. When we're in a deep valley, there He is. With us, his rod and his staff, they're comforting us. We see here in this verse in Habakkuk, hinds feet. That speaks of grace and agility and swiftness. We wouldn't have any of those things if not for him. High places speaks of the mountaintops where the deer is free from the dangers below. Without him, we would not have that. Habakkuk is telling us that God enables him to rise above his circumstances. And God gives him strength to stand above the battle and enjoy freedom in the Lord. God turns my doubts into shouts. He gives me peace in the midst of my problems. It's exactly what he did for Job in Job 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you imagine enduring what Job endured and saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord? We stub our toe and we're <laughs> we about lose it. I'm working, my oldest, I'm working on him. 
He needs to relax. He's a lot like me in a lot of ways. Uh, he can get bent out of shape pretty quick. I've done a lot better with that in the last few years. The Lord has, through tribulation, taught me patience. Because my pastor, Brother Hobbs, always used to say, careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, because the Bible says, tribulation worketh patience. You may be asking for some tribulation in your life. He just sometimes comes apart. We, we don't have to come apart. We can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And just forge ahead. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's what we should want. That's how we're going to accomplish things for the Lord, is through his power, not our own. Through his ability, not our own. How does one have a smile on their face in the midst of trials and tribulations? Because they're wholly trusting on the Lord. It's the only way. God enables His children to stand when our own strength fails us. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 12. Let's learn from Habakkuk's lesson. Whenever someone says, how can you believe God is good when bad things are happening all around us? Let's be like Habakkuk. Because he rejoiced in the Lord because of who God is. See, they want nothing to do with God. They're trying to put him down. They're trying to bring us down. But he's all we have. He's all we need. In Isaiah 12, starting in verse 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Notice the determination here in this verse. Not I might, or if I have time, or if things are going well. I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and be not afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. We're not our own salvation. Not of works of righteousness which I have done, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We can do nothing. We cannot save ourselves. We are dead in sin. Period. But He is our salvation. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to complain about. And every reason to be thankful. Lastly, in Psalm 118. What a powerful verse this one is. and Perfect verse to end with. Verse 6, Psalm 118, verse 6. 
The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Doesn't matter. Though they slay me, it's irrelevant. Absent from the body, it's present with the Lord. They could kill us. And the world doesn't want us. The world doesn't want God. The world doesn't want churches. The world doesn't want God's word. The only people that anybody can ever say anything about is Christians. Everybody else is off limits. Christians are fodder, fair game. They mock us. They make fun of us. We're right-wing, Bible-clinging wackos. I don't know, whatever they call us. That's fine. I've been called worse. I'll take it. If that's all they got, y'all cling to your Bible, yeah? Y'all cling to God, yeah? That's supposed to be an insult? Honestly, if people say that about you, that's a compliment. They mean it for insult, but it's a compliment. Who cares what they can do? Maybe they will round us up one day and start killing Christians in America. I have no idea. All I know is that perilous times are going to come and things are going to wax worse and worse. The people deceiving and being deceived. That's all I know. Hope the Lord comes back soon, sooner rather than later. But it's not out of the realm of possibility in this country that they're going to come start padlocking church house doors. I remember growing up, Bible conferences, especially in the 90s when I was a teenager. And pe- preachers would come and say, don't be surprised if they, you come to church one day and you find a padlock on the door. And I thought, that's just crazy talk. We live in America. We have freedom here. Freedom of religion. Freedom of assembly. We, they're not. COVID hits. And police are sitting in parking lots making sure people don't go to church. That happened. They go to pastors' houses where they're having home Bible studies and arresting pastors. That happened. You try to just have a service in your... Everybody sits in their cars out in the parking lot and have a service that way. And the police are threatening to arrest everybody. That happened. Here. Is it really that far-fetched? So my admonition is, be ready. If we're faced with that, if they put a padlock on the door, will we still find a place to assemble, whether it's in a home, whether whether it's in a cave? I don't care where. Will we do it? Will we remain faithful? That type of trial may come, and we need to glorify God in it and still do what we're supposed to do. Let's bow our heads to be dismissed. Then you can come and we'll sing a song. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace. We don't deserve it. But through your Son, we've been given eternal life. We have exceeding great and precious promises. We know that whatever situation we find ourselves in, it's through your will that these things take place. We pray that we will look to you 
make you preeminent, put you first in all things. Look to you for strength. Look to you for guidance. Thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Pray for Pastor Holt. Help him to feel better, get over this sickness. For all the others that are sick and not feeling well today. There are so many going through these physical ailments. We lay them all at your feet and ask for divine healing. We're thankful you're the great physician. We're thankful you are our sovereign God and in control of all things. We pray that no matter what state we are in, we're content and looking for ways to serve you. Be with us as we leave here today. Guide us back to your house tonight, wherever that may be. We pray that everything that's said and done will redound to your honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.